Well, amen. Salt Company, how are we? Sit down. Sit down. Uh, oh, my gosh. Goodness gracious. Well, uh, for those of you who... For those of you that don't know me, my name is, I have a couple of different names, apparently Joe Dye's a clown. <laughs> Decided to put every single one of them up there. Uh, my name is Zach Everly, I, I guess I'm also called Salt Company Senior. Uh, Rusty Red and Chef Z, although I will not be rapping tonight, that's, that's a guarantee, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, for those of you that don't know me, uh, haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Zach, um, and I'm a, a senior in Salt. I've been in Salt since day one, honestly, of being at Mizzou. Uh, I met Chris Kurtz for the first time. Um, we were playing flag football. He's not here tonight, so I feel okay saying this. Um, I thought he was kind of a, a pushover and a tryhard, because uh, the first time I met him, straight up, it seemed like there was some unfinished business from like riding the bench high school varsity football. Because, I, I mean, I don't have anything to like show as far as football goes. I mean, this is me. I'm a string bean. And Chris was just, I mean, out there trying to prove something. And I was like, who is this guy? And uh, anyways, he uh, has been a, a dear friend of mine and uh, I'm honored to be able to speak tonight. Um, the last two years, I've had the joy of leading uh, community groups and getting to pour into young men. And uh, this last year, I've had the joy of, of leading a discipleship group with a few young guy leaders and getting to see, hey, what, what does it look like to follow Jesus on a week-to-week basis? Um, I've had some of you guys in Theology of the Gospel, TOG, and you're probably like, oh boy, good to hear from him again. Um, here we go. But uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a joy uh, these last four years, and uh, the last two weeks have teed us up tonight perfectly for what we're going to be talking about. Uh, we've been looking at, Thane and Chris have helped us unpack humbleness and faithfulness. I think these two qualities are not just things that we're looking for in salt leaders, but I, I would even push further to be DNA that Salt Company is defined by. That when, when we look at Salt Company students as a whole, we would be defined by faithfulness and humility. And when Chris asked me to preach tonight, he said, hey man, give a, give a biblical vision for leadership. Give a biblical vision for community, for discipleship. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. But before we jump into scripture or anything, I want to tell a story that I don't think I've ever told to anybody. Um, the first two summers in college, I worked as a, well, first, I worked at a, a summer camp like 30 minutes north of Kansas City. Uh, first summer, I was just a day camp counselor. Second summer, I was uh, our day camp director. I ever saw like 36 staff or something like that. And uh, one of my best friends that I made that summer was a guy by the name of Kevin Clausen. And uh, Kevin was like literally a real life Tarzan. He was from South Africa. He was a semi-pro rugby player and had like super long curly black hair that went down to his shoulders. I mean, just massive biceps, just a freak athlete. Uh, me and him were roommates uh, the second summer that I worked there, and me and Kevin were best friends. We bonded over rap music, coffee, Jesus, and basketball, and he made one of the best South African coffee pour-overs I think I've ever had. And uh, we call him Sweet Baby Kev because he had a mad three-point stroke on the basketball court. And uh, he, was, he was just a fun guy to be around. But at any rate, we're, we're in staff training the second summer. Me and him are supposed to be demonstrating this exercise. And imagine this. We're, we're about 40 feet up off the ground on these telephone poles. And there's, there's a telephone pole like right here. And there's two that are farther out kind of adjacent at a, forming a V. And that they're connected by like steel rope or cord or whatever you call it. 
And uh, the way it works is, you know, you're, you're harnessed up. We're not morons. And we're harnessed up 40 feet on top. And uh, what you do is you stand on it like this, and then you just go palm to palm with each other. And the goal is you just kind of like move down and like you keep pushing into each other. You try and get all the way to the very end. And the goal is as you're going, you're kind of like pushing and pushing into each other and whatnot. And you're kind of like sliding down. And the goal is at the end, you start standing up. And then you're like honestly like supposed to be like horizontal. Um, and again, Kevin's freak athlete. I am me. And we're up at the top of this thing. And Kevin's just straight as a nail. I mean, he's fully committed. He's leaning straight into me. He's a tank, strong core great biceps. And the farther we go down, the more and more I'm just like, my booty's sticking out. And I'm like, dude, this, I'm telling you, it's not working. He's like, the whole entire time, he's like, bro, commit. Just trust me. Lean in. Like, come on. Come on. Just please. Like, please. And I, we're, we're up 40 feet and eventually we fall. And I like push him over. He pushes me over or something. I don't know. Um, I'm not very good at those things. I don't have a very strong core. Um, but I think as he's, he's like encouraging, yelling nicely at me, he was like, hey, lean in, uh, lean into me. And I wasn't. I think this, that picture describes a lot of our relationships in Christianity, that we don't, we don't want to lean into each other. We don't want to trust each other. We don't want to go to the vulnerable, hard places with one another. And there's a tendency to kind of shrink back and not be all in, one foot in, maybe one foot out, you know, hey, I, I'll go to Salt Company, that's fine. I'll go to C Group, that's fine. I might meet up one-on-one with my disciple, or that's fine. But I don't want to ask the hard questions. I don't want to answer what my relationship with Jesus really looks like. And so tonight, what I hope to do is give us a, a vision for what it looks like for you to lean in to the next season of life that you're in. Whatever your, whatever your context is, to lean into the next season of life that you're in. And what we're going to be doing together is we're going, to, we're going to look at the relational progression of Paul and Timothy as described by the New Testament. And I think this gives us a strong biblical picture and grounding, again, of some of these desired DNA that we'd like to see in Salt Company, these gospel-driven discipleship relationships that I pray would be able to craft. And so uh, Rick Warren has a, a helpful kind of parallel for us here that as Paul and Timothy are, are engaging in a relationship with one another, we get a triple P reality. So we see the parenthood of Paul to Timothy. We see the pace setting of Paul to Timothy. And we see the partnership of the two of them as they're engaging in ministry together. And the main idea for tonight is that discipleship is our engine for spiritual growth. If you want to push that a little further, the gospel is the gas that goes into that engine. And uh, it might be helpful before I preach for the next five hours to uh, define the word discipleship. Just kidding, it won't be five hours. Uh, to define the word discipleship, I think we have a lot of different ideas about what that might mean, and I want to I clear that up before I say it a bunch of times. Mark Dever, who's a pastor out in Washington, D.C., defines discipleship in this way. You guys ready for this? Discipleship is helping others to follow Jesus. Wow, that's it. That's it, helping others to follow Jesus. It's deliberately doing spiritual good to one another so that they'll become more like Christ. So let's go ahead and look at the three stages of these two men's relationship. Let's draw some key conclusions, ask some questions, and maybe give some vision for what it looks like to lean in to the structure that Jesus created and trademarked in the Gospels. Let's pray, and then we'll hop in. Father God, I I praise you for tonight, that you've given us your word to guide us, to direct us in the ways that we can grow in maturity. The Lord, as we have our, our, our gaze fixed on you, 
that we would engage in relationship with one another, not out of compulsion, but willingly, humble enough to be led and faithful enough to lead others. God, will we press into this reality of community, of leadership, of discipleship, that we look to the model of Jesus, that we, be, we can be convicted and cut by the model of Paul and Timothy. God, I ask tonight that I, I wouldn't be a distraction, that I'd just be a vessel for the Spirit. Pray for open ears, softened hearts, engaged minds. Spirit, fill this room. Guide us and direct us. Counsel us in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to start in Acts chapter 16. We're going to bounce around the New Testament a little bit. So if you don't feel like flipping, we will have scripture up on the, on the screens here. But we're going to start in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, where we see the, the genesis of Paul and Timothy's relationship. So in Acts 16, starting in verse 1, and remember Paul is now on his missionary journeys. He's going all throughout the, uh, the countries. He's, he's sharing Jesus. He's inviting men with him to tackle um, just the world with the gospel. And uh, starting in verse 1, we see here, it says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Key takeaways, three things really quick. Paul comes to Lystra, where Timothy's from. He sees a man who's well spoken of by the brothers. Paul wants Timothy to accompany him, and the churches are strengthened in the faith. So what does Paul do? What do we see in these five verses? Paul sees a young man. He finds a young man, Timothy. He's well-spoken of him. Paul wants him to accompany him. Why is that important? Paul desires relationship with Timothy. Paul takes the first step in this situation. He hears super solid things about this young guy. He's got some solid foundation going, and he desires to pour into him. He desires to bring him along with him on his life journey and show him the ropes about what it looks like to follow Christ. Luke, the writer of Acts, includes this detail in verse 1. It says that Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Why, why does Luke include this? I think there's two reasons. One, Luke is painting a picture for us of the groundwork that's laid. Timothy's familiar with some of these teachings. He's probably been raised up in some Jewish faith. He, he knows about God. He's familiar with these things, but Timothy's malleable. He's soft clay. He's not brittle. He's, he's able to be shaped and formed. And number two, while it's not explicit, I think it can be implicitly applied as Luke, the writer, includes that his father was a Greek. I think there's, it's, it's implicitly applied that Timothy needs spiritual leadership. Timothy needs spiritual fatherhood. His father, if he was Greek, was probably caught up in the philosophical and intellectual areas and was not necessarily engaged in religious conversation. So Paul sees a need in Timothy's life. He sees that he's malleable, he needs spiritual leadership, and he hops in. He steps in as a spiritual leader and father for young Timothy. And what I think is another thing that's important is Timothy obviously needs Paul. Timothy's young, he's probably naive, he's got some things that he hasn't quite figured out yet. But what I think is important is, again, that we see that Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Just as much as Timothy needed Paul, Paul needed Timothy. 
It's a mutual relationship that's centered, in this case, on gospel transformation of churches. But gospel transformation is key. And this is key to healthy discipleship relationships is the humility to acknowledge a need for spiritual leadership and then a faithfulness to go, therefore, and lead others by example. And again, we see that it says that Timothy was well-spoken of by the brothers, but what exactly was well-spoken of by Timothy? The cool thing about the Bible is if you don't have the answer, you keep reading that bad boy and you will find it. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 4, it should be on the screens. Paul writes to Timothy in the second letter, he says, As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure it dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Timothy had a sincere faith, and Paul desired to fan it into flame. Why is this important? Well, he had some good background in the Jewish faith, as we've already established, and Paul desires to see him grow in his Christian walk. Paul takes the initiative, seeks out Timothy, and brings him along. This relationship continues to blossom in other passages that we don't have time to unpack together, but I'll just name these as we pass through. Uh, Paul fondly looks on Timothy. He, he loves Timothy dearly. In the greeting to Timothy in First and Second Timothy, Paul addresses him as the true, a true child in the faith, as my beloved child. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul refers to Timothy as his beloved and faithful child, as Paul was his father in Christ Jesus. Paul looks fondly after this young man and desires to engage in life change with him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor who was ultimately killed for his faith um, in a concentration camp in Germany in the 1940s. Um, he wrote a book called Life Together, and in commenting on this passage in 2 Timothy, he writes this, The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Longingly, the imprisoned Paul calls his dearly beloved son in the faith, Timothy, to come to him in prison in the last days of his life. He would see him again and have him near. Paul has not forgotten the tears Timothy shed when they last parted. The Christian in exile sees the com in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. That's beautiful. The, 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 the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit that we're created out of, out of community, for community. Paul and Timothy engage in a relationship. This right here, Salt Company, engaging in a relationship is a reflection of the one in whose image we're created for. That's beautiful. So it's clear to see that for both Paul and Timothy, discipleship is their engine for spiritual growth. When talking about spiritual leadership, I think some good questions to consider is um, who are you daily living life with? Who in life truly knows your struggles? Who's praying for you? Who can correct you? And who has counseled you with the word of God recently? I think with this as well, there's the question that maybe is even bigger above all of this is do you genuinely want or need to be discipled? Have you, have you realized in your heart your need for spiritual leadership? Have you humbled yourself enough under the word of God and under the people that are around you to say, hey, in humility, I need spiritual leadership. Do you genuinely want to be discipled? In this process of their relationship evolving, we move from uh, 
move from parenthood to pace setting. And the New Testament reveals this progression here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, we see Paul beginning to raise up Timothy in Christ-likeness, teaching him and modeling for him a spirit-filled life. And starting in verse 10 of chapter 3, Paul writes, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium at Lystra, with persecutions I endured, yet for all of them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned, and affirm me believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What do we see Paul explain in these verses? There's a lot to unpack, but at a, at a surface level, we see the process of pace setting as Paul says, Timothy, listen, follow my teaching, follow my conduct, my aim in life, faith, patience, love, steadfastness, persecutions and sufferings, otherwise known as follow me, follow my example, as I model these things, follow me. Paul had a supernatural encounter with Jesus, if you recall, earlier in Acts. And all that Paul is doing is walking in humble and faithful, there it is, humble and faithful obedience to what Jesus has called him to do. All that Paul is doing is showing and telling what he's experienced and inviting younger Timothy along with him on the journey. This isn't rocket science. It's called life-on-life discipleship. Paul's charge to young Timothy is to continue in what he's learned and firmly believe from the beginning, the faith that was fanned into flame. And this is all worked out and forged in the relationship of discipleship between these two men. Jesus and the Great Commission, which I hope and pray does not ever grow stale and cold in our hearts as the Western church continues to progress, so dead gum important. Jesus says, go, therefore, Make disciples, full stop, make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching, there it is again, teaching them all that I have commanded them to do. Paul is evidence and true fruit of this commandment, this commission being lived out, and a result of a true, genuine faith in Christ Jesus as he carries out Jesus' commands and is teaching Timothy to do the exact same thing. Paul is modeling a Christ-like example to Timothy and charging him to do the same as he follows Christ. And as we're, we're in the process of pace-setting with one another in discipleship, if you're a leader and you're pace-setting, part of being a gospel-shaped leader is setting the pace for genuine confession and repentance of sin. This is so important. And as you, as you read the New Testament, Paul is portrayed often as a really stubborn, blunt dude. And uh, he suffered a lot, had a lot of pretty wild run-ins with religious leaders of his day, um, even fellow Christians. He was caught up in putting out all kinds of relational fires in the church, sexual morality, divisions. People were getting absolutely hammered on communion wine. There's proclamation of false gospels, false teachers, the whole nine yards. Paul's putting up with a lot of garbage. And I would imagine that as Paul is navigating this and Timothy's doing life with Paul, 
Timothy gets a behind-the-curtain view into a real, raw, emotional, sinful Paul. The Paul who we don't always get to see in some of these bold proclamations of the gospel to the Pharisees. And as a result, Timothy sees an imperfect Paul. A Paul who had to confess and repent of sin. A Paul who daily acknowledged his need for a Lord and Savior. Timothy probably got a front row seat to a man who needed to lead himself humbly, who saw the sin in himself, who lamented over his sin, and as Paul describes in Romans 7, did what he did not want to do and did do what he didn't want to do. Who in suffering saw Paul on his hands and knees praying and petitioning to God for his enemies. A Paul who shed tears of joy and tears of sadness. None of us is perfect. None of us in discipleship and leadership and community is going to be perfect. We would be Jesus if that was the case. And to some degree, I've, I've felt this, and I, I don't want to assume, but I would imagine many of us in this room as we're leading other people want to present ourselves as all-knowing. We got it all together. We know, we know the answer. We know what truth is. But the reality is in discipleship and relationship and leadership, all of us are functioning as dirty and broken mirrors who are tattered, as we're trying so hard to obediently reflect the one true light of redemption and truth and wisdom, which is Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So part of our discipleship in raising up leaders and setting the pace is to set the pace for being a follower of Jesus who genuinely confesses and repents of sin. As Isaiah 66, 2 puts it, that's humble, contrite in spirit and trembles at God's word, asking God in humility to help us to acknowledge weakness, to acknowledge pride, to acknowledge sin, genuinely confess of it, invite God into that so that we can effectively love those that are in our flock. Questions to consider, I think, as, nav- as we navigate current discipleship relationships um, are these ones here, but I think, again, overarching, what, what kind of a pace setter are you? Are you someone who's modeling something that's worthy of being followed? Are you the kind of person who is, is submitted to Jesus, who's not seeking your own selfish gain, but is seeking the good of others? So who are you con- encouraging continuously? Who are you regularly praying with? With whom do you meet to discuss what God is teaching you? And who are you intentionally investing in? The third relational progression we see of these two men is in Romans chapter 16, verse 21. Very short. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. Paul acknowledges Timothy as his fellow worker. And I love this this switch in relational title. We go from my child in the faith, my beloved son, to my fellow worker. Timothy is no longer drinking spiritual milk. He's feasting on spiritual steak. He's been raised up. He's mature. And Paul says, Timothy, go. Do the same thing I've just taught you. Again and again and again, multiply disciples. Timothy is being unleashed into the kingdom to be a laborer in the harvest. And again, all throughout Scripture, we don't have time to unpack this in its entirety, as much fun as it would be. But in Colossians, and in both letters to First and First and Second Thessalonians, Timothy is included in the greeting with Paul. And I think this is important. A lot of us read right over the greeting, which is super lame, um, but that's fine. Uh, Timothy's included in the greeting to Paul, and I think that's important because Paul has allowed Timothy to have a part in writing those letters and encouraging the churches, exhorting faith. Timothy has a part in that process. 1 Thessalonians 3.2, Paul sends Timothy, chooses to send Timothy, 
to the Thessalonican church as a brother and co-worker of the gospel, again, to encourage faith in the church. Timothy's ready. Paul says, go. Do it, man. 1 Timothy 1.18, Paul entrusts Timothy with the work of holding faith and a good conscience as a minister of Jesus Christ. Paul has a deep trust and faith in Timothy that, again, he will remember what he has been taught. He will love God, love others, and continue to make disciples. Finally, in Philippians 2, Paul chooses to send Timothy to the church in Philippi, excuse me, the church in Philippi because Timothy is so incredibly others-oriented and genuinely concerned for the well-being of those in Philippi that Paul sends him there to be an encourager. Once again, Timothy's learned from Paul. He stayed on the straight and narrow. He was a humble and faithful disciple who's now being unleashed into the kingdom to propel forward what Paul has taught him and what Jesus ordained in the Gospels. This Gospel-centered outpouring of these two men once again was forged in a discipleship relationship full of vulnerability, full of reality. Discipleship was their engine for spiritual growth. I think it's interesting. I want to I pause here to think about a lot of us are in really healthy relationships with people who are in similar stages of life as us. Maybe there's, you have friends, um, there's brothers and sisters around you that like, you're not like intentionally discipling them, um, but you're, you're an encourager. And I, I, would, I would plead and I would push you to consider what does it look like to partner with these people to propel the kingdom forward? What does it look like to partner with one, those around you to reach unbelievers that you know? Who are you developing to take over a current leadership position that you have? Who would know if you weren't faithfully participating in the life of a local church who's holding you accountable? Who would be by your hospital bed tonight to pray for you and encourage you? Who would fast and pray with you as you're navigating tough life decisions? Who are these people? All throughout Acts, Timothy is never mentioned alone. Couldn't find a passage in the book of Acts where Timothy's not listed with like three or four other homies. He always has brothers in the faith with him, laboring alongside him as he goes on his missionary journeys. And I think this speaks to the holistic and biblical nature of Timothy's discipleship, that Paul and Timothy aren't just sitting down for some Hebrew coffee and uh, talking about, you know, what's been good, what's been bad, highs and lows, which isn't bad. Uh, these men are, are, are taking boat rides together. They're getting shipwrecked together. They're eating, conversing. They're, they're living life together. They're doing life with one another. They spend intense time together. And I think this is a model that Jesus created for us. That's a reality created by God that Jesus trademarked for us to engage in. This isn't some ideal that we could hope to ascend to. This is life as it was meant to be life with one another. And so the question for all of us is this, is where, where, where are you right now? Like I, I would hope to, that you guys would genuinely think, like, where am I right now in my spiritual walk? What does it look like to be engaged in life with one another? So maybe, maybe you're looking for spiritual leadership in your life. The first question I would ask you to think about, as we talked about earlier, is, like, honestly, in your heart, do you genuinely want to be discipled? Like, do, do you see that need? that you humbly acknowledge, I need leadership? Have you prayed about who that person might be? Is there someone that's coming to mind right now that maybe you need to have a conversation with this week and say, hey, I, I need this leadership in my life? Have you been running from leadership? 
Maybe you're in an active and healthy discipleship relationship. Praise God. I would ask, what kind of pace setter you are? Once again, are, are you someone who is, is modeling Jesus? Are you someone who's worthy of being followed? Are you modeling the things that Jesus sets out, emulating the fruit of the Spirit, being humble and faithful? And maybe you're in a season of laboring alongside fellow brothers and sisters in the harvest. How, how are you partnering and investing with these people to reach unbelievers, to reach your family, to see the gospel continue to go forward? This is where I want to close tonight. Mark Dever, once again, says to be a Christian means to be a disciple. There are no Christians who are not disciples, and to be a disciple of Jesus means to follow Jesus. Not your own way, not what you think is right. It means to follow Jesus. There are no disciples of Jesus who are not following Jesus. Because here's the harsh reality that I've realized after four years in this ministry. I really, I really don't care about Salt Company. What I, what I do care about is, is followers of Jesus fulfilling the Great Commission. Going, therefore, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded them to do, and behold, I will be with you to the end of the age. I want us to make much of Jesus and his kingdom because if this, this sermon is not a marketing campaign or an advertisement for Salt Company. If it is, I shouldn't be up here. That's crap, I'll be honest with you. The call that I have for you tonight is to press into the current season you're in and ask the question, God, what's next? What's the next right thing for me? Asking God what the next right thing in your spiritual journey is. Now, as a caveat to what I just said, that I don't care about Salt Company. Um, I do love Salt Company, and I think Salt Company is a beautiful and healthy place of like-minded students who are madly in love with Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. The, the last four years have taught me anything. This is a community to lean hard into. It's a spiritual formation greenhouse as we partner with one another in growth and prayer, scripture reading, spiritual disciplines, service to others, stewardship. We grow in our theology. We grow in our sisterhood and brotherhood with one another. But every single one of those things is worked out and forged in discipleship with one another. Salt Company is only as healthy as our ability is to reach, raise, and release the next generation. Salt Company is only as healthy as it is to, uh, as our ability is to fulfill the Great Commission. The bar is what Jesus has said, not what I say or what Chris says. The bar is what Jesus has for us. So once again, what, what does it look like for you to lean into this season? What, whatever context you're in, wherever you find yourself, what does it look like to lean into this season? There's a plethora of options. The, the beauty of being a part of a local church, Anthem Kids, Anthem Youth, the next generation meets right on the other side of those doors every single Sunday. They need discipleship. They need leadership. And many of you have pressed into that call beautifully. But there are students that need that leadership. My K-Life people, that's beautiful. The greater Columbia community there's students all over Columbia that need spiritual leadership. Salt Company leadership, that's another avenue that we've been, we've been harping on for weeks. And maybe, maybe for you right now, it's just a season of personal spiritual growth. That's okay, praise God. But I, I, would, I would ask and I would pray and I would beg that by all means, whatever it looks like for you to lean in, whatever avenue you exercise that, that you would do that life with others. 
you would engage in, in gospel shape, Christ-centered conversations, life-on-life discipleship to grow your spiritual walk and grow in maturity in Christ Jesus. Because again, Salt Company out of Matthew 5 is a name derived from a passage that calls us to look outside of ourselves, to look outside of these walls, to look to our fellow brother and sister, the one who is far from Jesus, to the sinner like me and the sufferer like me who needs spiritual leadership in their life. And there are 30,000 students right down the road that need spiritual leadership in their lives. Just like Timothy did, like I still do, and like all of us in this room do. This call to discipleship is a call to love others how Jesus did, to help others follow Jesus, and it's a beautiful call to raise others up into maturity and Christ-likeness as Paul models for us. Jesus was the master and we're all apprentices. Who are you apprenticing under right now? God doesn't have to use us, but he does and he loves it. Don't run from this community. Don't run from leadership. Don't run from discipleship. Lean into it like I should have with Kevin on the high ropes course. Be humble enough to be led, faithful enough to lead others as we are all being obediently led by the good shepherd, Jesus. Salt Company, let's go rock Mizzou with the greatest news that the world will ever hear, that Jesus is king. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for this this reality that you've created. That God, life, life and community is life as it was meant to be. And God, I believe you're, you're stirring in hearts right now in students who are thinking, gosh, I've been running from this for so long. God, I ask that you continue to convict. God, I ask that you would, there would be conversations after this, asking God, like, who, who can lead me? I need leadership. And God, I ask that those who are leading would, would be encouraged right now. It's the end of the semester, Lord. We're burnt out, we're tired, but the gentle and lowly shepherd draws near. God, I ask that we would be a community that is rooted and grounded in the love of a Savior who died for us, that we would model our leadership after the one who did not count quality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Lord, would we press into relationship with one another, asking God, what does it look like to lean in? Jesus, we thank you for this time. It's your name we pray, amen.